What's going on, coaches? Uh, really excited. We just passed 500,000 downloads. Big thank you to all you guys for listening, uh, to the coaches that have come on and, and talked ball with us. Uh, it's unbelievable. Just uh, a little over uh, 15 months, we've had 500,000 uh, episodes downloaded. So uh, a big thank you guys again. Uh, we're living the dream right now. We get to talk football with you guys, uh, get to learn more football, um, and, and get to do our part. So thank you guys again. Uh, if you need anything from us, runthepower.com. Uh, Coach Walls is putting up uh, RTP long handoffs with uh, Alabama, Texas A&M. Uh, so you guys can get your pass game fix. And uh, he also just did RTP install last week of uh, week counter. So uh, you guys check all that out again. Just a big thank you to, to everybody. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Team Builder. Team Builder provides strength and conditioning software to athletic programs around the country. Whether you write your own programs, have a full-time strength coach, or need training programs, Team Builder can make your program more efficient, more accountable, and smarter when it comes to measuring your team's effort in the weight room. Right now, Team Builder is offering a free 10-week spread offense tempo training program when you start a 14-day free trial at teambuilder.com. That's team, B-U-I-L-D-R, Dot com. Make sure you guys put in the code RTP. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by Sports Performance Tracking, or SPT. Sports Performance Tracking is a wearable GPS device that athletes can actually wear during football games. GPS analytics has been used at the pro level, but never filtered its way all the way down to college and high school until now. With GPS tracking, coaches can measure workload of a player to ensure that they aren't overworking or underworking. SPT is used by almost 25,000 athletes around the globe, from professional football clubs in Europe to high schools in Texas. SPT allows coaches to understand their players' fitness levels and compare to other players. One coach for the University of Louisiana Monroe said, there's no more hiding behind effort. Get the best out of your players and keep them injury-free with SPT. Go to sptgps.com for more information. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by our newest sponsor, Just Play. Whether you're a coach looking for a personal playbook tool or you're on a staff at a program looking to improve your team's preparation, Just Play has a solution for you. They have recently released a new product called My Just Play. My Just Play is a personal playbook tool for coaches at all levels, from Pop Warner, Pee Wee, all the way to the NFL. Create and organize your playbook with terminology, diagrams, video, and assignments, all starting at just $10 a month. Learn more at myjustplay.com. Again, that's myjustplay.com. On this episode of RTP, we talk with Rob Williams. Coach Williams is a kinesiologist and movement coach in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Listen as we talk with Coach Williams about his football career and background research and education in kinesiology his unique insight and approach to coaching efficient and powerful movement, and some drills and coaching cues you can use to evaluate and train your athletes to move with more power and efficiency. Uh, you guys will definitely uh, want a pen and a pad of paper for this episode. Uh, you can follow Coach Williams on Twitter at SportCorePro and through his website, SportCorePerformance.com. Hope you guys enjoy. Uh, 
I graduated with a kinesiology degree now uh, about 27 years ago, I guess. And uh, uh, I went to a good school up here with a great program. Um, but I grew up in a town where we didn't have football. It was a pretty small town, and I guess uh, everybody was a hockey player up here in Canada, so they didn't, they didn't have a football program. And I always wanted to play the game, uh, so I had to wait until I got to university to, uh, to actually try playing football. And I'm, I managed to somehow uh, make it on the football team. Uh, and it's a, it, at the time, it was an NAIA program. Um, I was always a gym guy. I did a lot of working out and, and played as many sports as I could. And so, you know, I ended up uh, playing D-line. I was, I was uh, pretty big and strong at the time. And I, and I played D-line. Uh, but I had, you know, absolutely no instincts. I didn't even know how to put the pads on when they first issued them to me. So by the end of the first season, uh, I, I ended up getting a lot of, I was dealing with like groin pain, abdominal pain. Um, and through the off season, I, you know, I went to therapists and doctors and they thought it was a hernia and they thought it was a groin strain. They thought it was an abdominal tear and they couldn't quite figure it out. So I, uh, I tried playing in my second season and I just, I still had all this, it was all this central pelvic pain um, that they couldn't really solve. And so ultimately I went for a bone scan and they found out that uh, my pelvis was actually tearing apart in the center uh, at my big pubic symphysis joint. And so my, you know, all my years of wanting to play football, you know, came to a screeching halt and uh, I finished off my kinesiology degree and decided that, you know, I wanted to, wanted to go into a field where I could, uh, could help athletes, um, you know, sort of prevent some of these injuries and, and if they did get them, you know, help them properly diagnose them and manage them and treat them and, and train in a way that, uh, you know, they didn't have a similar situation that I did. So I uh, went out, went into full-time practice as soon as I graduated. And I've been in full-time practice as a kinesiologist now for, for 27 years. And, you know, more and more uh, specializing just really in, in movement because it's the foundation of you know, everything that athletes need to do, whether it's performance or rehab or injury prevention. And so, you know, I've been very fortunate over, over all those years to work uh, with some pretty high level athletes in all sports. But again, my own interest, you know, was always football. And so I'm getting, you know, getting the ability to work with athletes uh, in the game of football that, that it's pretty rewarding to take somebody who's, you know, sort of at the highest level and and try to help them you know gain a little extra ground and i'm fortunate to have enough to have uh two sons who are both very uh athletic and interested in football and you know so it can it can be a bit of a family thing and a labor of love and something that i still enjoy doing every minute of every day so that's a little about me or a lot about me <laughs> well coach i know you got a a pretty interesting approach to a lot of this stuff i mean you know most people when they talk movement strength they're a lot like okay let's let's go power lift let's go move a bunch of weight let's let's really get after the the strength aspect of it um i, I you think you take a more unique approach and it, and since i've kind of you know followed your your career a little bit it's really fascinated me and there's a lot of things that 
I've tried to kind of implement into to our guys' routines as well and, and very, very successful with it, with it. So could you talk a little bit about kind of, you know, your philosophy and, and maybe some of the things you are specializing in as far as, you know, core strength, hip strength, and, and mobility, especially in that, that pelvic region? Yeah, it's, uh, again, with my own, my own injuries um, and appreciating that, you know, it doesn't matter how big and strong you are in the gym. Um, you can still be weak where it's really, really important. And, you know, to me, when I, what I learned, you know, at the time was even though I was able, like at one point, I think my, you know, my top bench was 470 pounds and my squat and all my other lifts were, were strong. You know, when I really dug into why I got injured and why I had to stop playing football, it was because of this lack of what's called inner unit core strength. It's the it's the core muscles inside the body, not the big abdominal muscles, not the, not, you know, the muscles that everybody can see, but the muscles deep inside that actually take your pelvic bones. So the ring of your pelvic bones and create what's called force closure of your pelvic ring. And this force closure of the pelvic ring locks those bones and locks those big joints, including the, the pubic symphysis and the SI joints in the back. And when they, when they become locked and stable like that, all of the big powerful muscles in the body that attach to them have something that's stable to exert force against. And so, you know, I always say to athletes, you know, the, the pelvis and the hips, um, they're the, they're the epicenter, you know, they're the center of the universe for an athlete. And if that area is unstable or dysfunctional, it doesn't matter, you know, how strong that athlete is in the gym when they try to impart force against an opponent or absorb force or create an explosive movement like a quarterback throwing a football. All they're going to do is, is spill power and leak energy from the center of their body, or they're going to use movement strategies that are inefficient because they need to compensate for these weaknesses or these deficiencies in the body. And so, you know, this, this sort of a saying that's popular out there, stability before mobility is really unbelievably true. And, uh, you know, getting an athlete to feel that, to feel how much better they are at whatever skill or talent or activity they need to execute by just finding this, what's called proximal stability in the center of the body so that they can create these controlled, powerful distal movements. And so it, whether, whether we're talking about, you know, being in the gym during deadlifts or hand cleans or power cleans or squats, or we're talking about, a, you know, a running back having to make a cut efficiently, or as I mentioned, a quarterback throwing a ball or, you know, especially um, linemen, you know, who need to be able to anchor and Im impose their will upon another large, powerful human being. Uh, if they know how to, you know, really successfully and efficiently engage this inner unit core system, create stability within their body to tie them through to the stable surface of the earth. Uh, it, it's really unbelievable how much force they can generate that, you know, I love the aha moment with athletes where, you know, the saying that pops up, you know, especially around my business is, is they don't know what they don't know. And when you see an athlete who didn't have a clue how powerful they really could be, um, that's the, that's the most rewarding part of it all. 
when you talk about some of this, it, I really enjoy it because it, it seems like it goes back to my days when I was playing and, and uh, everyone would always say with every lift almost, it was like, now make sure you're, you're um, engaging your core on this lift. And I don't think I ever knew what that meant. So, <laughs> so I would like, uh, I basically would, you know, I made it to a division one football program and, and all the way up to there, they, Hey, engage your core, make sure on squats on, on whatever, even, um, you know, incline, engage your core. And uh, I mean, the most I ever knew of that was <laughs> I would just try to suck in my stomach. I didn't really yeah. know what that meant. You know, I had never <laughs> felt that. I don't think, I don't know. I could do setups and different things, but I don't know how, what, what that would even mean. Uh, and, and so I hear this all the time, but never knew what they're, and I still don't know that I would know what that even feels like. So, and I know that you didn't give that exact cue, but when you are talking about, you know, using your core and, and, and some different things that you're saying, is that something that, um, that you need to almost, you've got things that you do with athletes to have them feel what, what that feels like, or is it more of a knowledge based thing? If that no, makes it's, sense. Um, yeah, totally. It, it makes complete sense. And, and, um, it's, it's a bit like, um, you know, fire your hips or use your hips or get your power from your hips. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, all, all these athletes are out there and they're trying to do what their coaches are telling them to do, but they don't know how to do it. And it's, it's nobody's fault. Um, it's, it's, it's simply that there are ways of engaging your core that, that um, are, in, on one hand, they're fairly technical. On the other hand, which is a big part of what I, what I try to do when I bring awareness to my practice and, and other practitioners who understand this stuff, is if we can get you know, every football coach to understand what it truly means to engage your core, and they can impart that knowledge to their assistant coaches, to their strength coaches, to their, to their players, it doesn't take any more than that. And then every time one of those coaches cued you to, you know, engage your core before you lift or get your power from your hips, you would know how to execute it. And this is a, a lot of times, this is the feedback that I get, you know, especially from my pro guys who, you know, they're, they're with an NFL team. They're with their strength coaches and their, and their trainers, you know, they do a half an hour of mobility or, or dynamic stability work at practice. But once I actually sort of get hands on with them and show them what it is we're talking about, they always ask, well, they're telling us to do it and they're saying, good, 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 but they're not actually showing us how to execute it, how to do it, how to get engaged, how to get a deep hip position, how to engage the core. So it's, ex it's exactly the same feedback that I hear today um, that you're talking about in your history. And you know, if we go, if we go back or if we get, you know, and please stop me or interrupt me if this gets a little bit too detailed when it comes to, you know, core activation. Not um, at all. I'm, I'm excited to hear all of it. Okay. Uh, yeah. I, I don't, I don't want to go sort of too deep or too technical or, but um, I've been, I've been fortunate enough in my practice to be able to spend some time with some practitioners who, uh, especially a couple of physiotherapists from, from my hometown of Vancouver here. Uh, Alex McKechnie and Rick Celebrini and these guys are just you know sort of despite the fact of being from Vancouver uh, they're really world leaders in um, the awareness of the importance of, of core activation core stabilization uh, for for athletes and this is whether it's whether it's prehab rehab 
prevention, performance. And so, um, you know, I've had, had the benefit of, you know, learning from them, shadowing them, collaborating, sharing athletes and patients, uh, especially with Rick. And a lot of what they do, um, and in part in the, uh, in the world of basketball, but they also, you know, deal with athletes in other sports, hockey and basketball, sorry, hockey and football, um, is this inner unit core stabilization that I mentioned that, that locks down the pelvic ring. A lot of these athletes who've been dealing with uh, chronic repetitive groin strains, uh, hamstring issues, uh, abdominal, you know, sports hernias, things of this nature, most of the time, these little repetitive strain injuries and even sometimes the acute injuries come from this lack of stability, this, this um, accessory motion that we refer to it as in, in, in the pelvic ring. And so muscles end up, instead of being stable and connected, we end up sort of slipping, shearing, um, losing control, and then we have to try to regain control. And if we, just, if we even just think about the abdominals, um, or the groin, like the adductor muscles. And so these guys have done a ton of work uh, also with a number of other sports medical practitioners and really helping some of the, you know, the world's top athletes uh, get healthy after surgeries uh, or stay on the basketball court um, for years. And so through my collaboration with them, I always had a, you know, obviously with the kinesiology background, always had a specialization in in strength and conditioning for athletic movement and to get involved with these guys on this core stabilization, uh, lumbopelvic stabilization. It was amazing how it all dovetailed together when it comes to athletic performance. And so this concept of engaging your core, um, you're right. A lot of times people just say, Oh, well, pull in your belly button or, you know, most athletes think it means flex your abs. Right. And long before you fire those muscles that allow you to flex your abs, those are, those are more what we call prime mover muscles. So rectus abdominis and obliques and things like that. Deeper inside the body is a, is a canister basically of muscles that wrap around the pelvis, wrap around sort of the abdominal cavity to support the lumbar spine, engage the, the rib cage. And so these muscles there's the pubococcygeal muscles, which are the pelvic floor muscles um, at the bottom of the canister. There's the transverse abdominus muscles that wrap around that when you pull in your belly button, like pull your belly button towards your spine, that's typically what you're starting to activate. Multifidus muscles in the low back on either side of the lumbar spine and your diaphragm, which creates the top of this canister. So there's basically four-sided canister of, of this muscular system that when it, when it fires, as I said, it creates this stabilization of the pelvic ring, of the lumbar spine, the whole central column of the body. But one of the cues that, uh, that we use to get an athlete to, to fire that system, and I constantly refer to it as a, you know, any athletic movement is a series of dominoes, and, I, and I'll use the, you know, the explanation with an athlete. You know, imagine you've got 10 dominoes all stacked up side by side. And the 10th domino is whatever athletic movement or lift, you know, lift in the gym you're trying to achieve. Now, I can come up, I can knock over domino four, and that'll knock over dominoes five through 10. And yes, domino 10 fell and you did a, you did a hang clean or yes, you threw a football. 
but we missed dominoes one, two, and three. We started at domino four. We still had an outcome, but it was an incomplete outcome. What we want to do is we want to fire domino one, and we want domino one to trigger two, to trigger three, and sequentially out. And by the time we get to domino 10, we've got a, a beautiful sequential firing pattern and, and movement strategy. So domino one always is this inner unit core activation, which the way that we cue that, if we want to activate the pelvic floor muscles, which, which I consider domino one in this whole sequence, is with football players, um, unless of course it's female football players, and, and pardon me here, this is a, this is a term, and it's, a, it's a term that Rick Celebrini used a lot, I'm not sure if Alex used it, uh, Rick and I used it back and forth with lots of athletes, but the, but the cue is boys up, and you'll see that in my Instagram posts and things like that, um, and it's that idea of if, if you activate, yeah, you guys know where I'm going. If I know you what activate, you're saying, man. That's why I think it's hilarious. But I, I mean, the, the beauty of the cue yeah. is know exactly what he means. Yeah, it's, um, and that's the pelvic floor muscles that would, that would lift your testicles up into your body. And if you, as, you, as you're about to do a squat or a hang clean or you're about to block a guy, if you, if you consciously go boys up, which is pull your junk up, <laughs> um, that's domino one. And we've got a really good chance that the rest of the sequence is going to fire the way that we want it to. And we know that upon, you know, on manual testing and, and, you know, also things like real time ultrasound, et cetera, that if we trigger that pelvic floor system to work, we'll get this sequential firing of this whole stabilization system. We get what's called a proximal to distal firing pattern in the whole body. So we actually initiate stability in the center of the body then we activate the larger prime movers in the center of the body which if you think about where your hip joints and your abdominals and your low back like all the big powerful muscles are in the center of the body and then we transmit power and force and movement outward through the extremities to the, the distal extremities and the smaller muscles of the lower legs the arms the hands etc and so by having this proximal cue that doesn't get much more central than boys up, we start the athlete thinking about stabilizing and moving from the center of their body. And so going back to, back to your football days, um, if you were, I mean, I can guarantee you because I've manually tested thousands of athletes, including entire NFL teams. And if, if you're boys up, you are going to be far more stable, far more connected, far more engaged, and, and far more capable of executing an explosive, powerful, controlled athletic movement with less risk of these harmful shear forces and, and basically other the forces that come from being disconnected. So, you know, we, we work with athletes. If they can't, we lay them on their back and, and palpate their abdomen and, you know, say, okay, I, just, just start a sit-up, like just like you were just going to do a normal crunch. And almost always that athlete laying on their back, knees bent, feet on the table, you know, they, the minute they start to sit up, their abdominal wall, the lower abdominal wall will pop up. It'll dome up towards the ceiling. And we know instantly that if that's the first thing that happens when this athlete thinks about doing something as simple as a, as a flexion, you know, a, a partial sit up or curl up. We know that that doming of that abdominal wall indicates that we don't have this, basically this circular stabilization of the pelvic ring, of the spine, et cetera. So it's, it's you know, sort of considered a, 
a dysfunctional pattern. Um, and typically that athlete will also, you know, as they're laying there on the table and you say, okay, let's, let's start a sit up. Their, their abdominal wall will pop up. It'll dome up and they'll lift their head six inches off the table before they actually start to lift the rib cage up off the table. And that's what we refer to as a distal movement strategy. They, they try to move from their head and they have absolutely no inner unit core stabilization of their whole central system. And this is an athlete that if we can test them in 18 different ways and they're going to display those same strategies. They'll be distal athletes without any proximal stabilization. Um, so it's pretty neat when you take somebody and do one or two simple little tests and, you know, you expose like, wow, there's a, you know, as I, as I often say to my pros, there's a ton of money left on the table right now because you're not using your body anywhere nearly as well as you could. So the potential is massive. I was so going to say, I'm, running on. <laughs> no, I was going to say, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm all sad over here now because I'm doing all these things you're asking and I'm doing them all wrong. So, <laughs> so if, if someone realizes that they come to you, how hard is it for, for you or for the athlete to break that habit? Cause I'm assuming it's a habit they've had since they were born or since they started yeah. working out. Yeah. Usually, um, like often, you know, our bodies move really well when we're infants. And if we go through the crawling process and learning to walk and all of those things, you know, the, the understanding is that, um, we moved well, we squatted well, we, you know, we had lots of hip mobility, we, all of those things when we were really small. And then as we developed and we got into our repetitive patterns of whatever movements or activities we were doing, and then oftentimes, you know, we got, I hate to say it, but we got in, in the hands of maybe well-meaning but misinformed coaches um, going through training and conditioning and things like that, uh, and poor posture, you know, lots of sitting, lots of computer and, you know, uh, laptop and, and smartphone time now. Um, we sort of learn these bad habits and we get away from using our bodies in, in what is the most optimal patterns. And so... It's, it's a bit like changing an arm path in a thrower or, um, you know, changing a, a hip hinge pattern in an athlete in the gym where the first thing is they need to, need to understand it and feel it and see it. And as I say, the aha moment of that athlete who can't create any stability and when you get them to, to cue and stabilize and they feel that they're literally, you know, 10 times more powerful when they're connected that aha moment is what reinforces them to be able to then, you know, uh, I'll show them what they need to do, show them how to activate the system, let them feel the difference, the potential, and then reinforce some simple little drills that they can do going forward um, where, you know, it does take time. It takes time where just like any movement pattern where we have to rewrite the program so that, you know, when a lineman is, is, in the middle of a football game and there's chaos all around him where he's actually engaging his opponent and the boys are up and he's, you know, stable and connected. So, but it, you know, it really, for it to become a functional uh, program within the athlete's body, it doesn't take that long. And, and if you're aware of it and you consciously think about it when you're in the gym or you're at practice, um, the more you do that, the faster it becomes something that becomes automatic and subconscious. So is that something then, because I mean, obviously I, I follow you Instagram and, yeah. and I see a lot of your, your videos with, you know, multiple athletes, you know, you, you have javelin throwers, you have golfers, you have, you know, linebackers, wide receivers, uh, offensive linemen, defensive line, whatever it might be. 
Is that something, so now you're teaching, you know, domino one, and then I'm going to probably get a little bit more specific in terms of what that athlete's going to need in terms of kind of that, that firing pattern for certain movements, or is it something that you kind of start off with, you know what, there's a, there's a base set of drills, almost kind of like everyday drills that we're going to start with. And then we progress. Yeah. It's, um, you know, dominoes one through probably I would say five are identical for pretty much every athlete. Okay. You know, it's, um, this is, and this is where I go to sort of these non-negotiable principles of athleticism. Um, every athlete needs to be able to create core stability. Every athlete needs to be able to activate any movement from the center of their body outward. Any athlete needs a symmetrical, stable pelvis. So with every one of those athletes, um, in a one-on-one situation, I've assessed their pelvic alignment. Uh, we've addressed their pelvic alignment to, to get their pelvis neutral. Um, because most athletes present with a, an asymmetrical malaligned pelvis, which comes from a lack of inner unit core stabilization of the pelvic ring. So they get, you know, antiversion, retroversion, upslips and things like that of, of the pelvis and, and the SI joints. So if we've got a, if we've got an athlete who presents with a malaligned pelvis, we don't want to then just train him with a malaligned pelvis. So, so, you know, most of my right-handed throwers end up being anterior on the right hemipelvis, which gives them an internally rotated antiverted right femur. Um, you know, and, and again, I'm getting too technical, but leg length Har- Harper, Harper knows exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah okay. so, you've been through some of this stuff? Oh, no. I, I, but I did take a bunch of kinesis classes in, in, uh, in college, but that's been a while, while back. But um, I, I do, I, I honestly love listening to this stuff. I had, okay. um, I had some good, I had some good trainers at, in college and not, maybe not the best. Uh, who knows? I don't know. I wasn't smart enough to know, but I uh, yeah. always got really interested in this. And, and I was a guy that wasn't a great athlete. So mm-hmm. I was always all about getting every little percentage that I could uh, to, to match the guys that were, um, yeah. you know, some of them were God given a little bit better than I was, but, uh, trying to, you know, get every little percentage out that I could. Yeah. Well, I, this, um, you know, sort of going back to the variety of athletes, if, if we take those athletes and we make sure that their pelvis is neutral and we make sure that they've got a good, you know, inner unit core stabilization system, boys up, girls up, as I, as I say, with, with the javelin throwers and <laughs> et cetera. Um, and everybody gets a chuckle out of it. So, you know, and then, okay, from there, the, the next biggest, most proximal system is the hip joint. And so there isn't an athlete on the planet that doesn't need hip joints that can support them when they're on one leg. And it's remarkable. You know, I've, I've done something as simple as what I call a center fire drill, where you take an athlete, you teach them to find a good stable power stance that I call it. So it's, it's a two foot grounded neutral, you know, you're slightly athletic, you're flexed in the hips. If it's a, if it's a linebacker, I'll ask them to get into a linebacker stance, lineman, you know, just find this basically it's a semi squat stable position. If they can find, you know, stability and be connected to the ground and, and, you know, resist force in that position, what I'll do is I'll just have them fire from a two foot position and fire and land on one foot underneath them so jump basically just quickly go from two feet and then land on one foot and don't fall over 
So if you think you're just standing there, you're, you know, you're in your linebacker stance and I say center fire right, and you just fire your right foot into the middle of your body and land on it and try not to fall over, um, you know, right or left. And really, if you're not actually doing it, you would think as an athlete or a past athlete, you would think, well, that shouldn't be that hard. Like I, I should be able to do that a hundred percent of the time. And really you should, but, um, remarkably, you know, I've, I've done this with pro bowl running backs. I've done this with, uh, <laughs> uh, NFL MVP quarterbacks. And, and when you get them to center fire and I mean, when you're, when you're talking about sometimes they go over 10, they can't, can't land on one foot without falling over and you know, having hmm. to touch the other foot on the ground. Wow. And this is, this is nothing more than does that single hip joint, is it capable of catching them so that they don't basically buckle, collapse, spiral inward, fall outward, and they just land there and go, yeah, okay, good, and then I say return, and then I try the other one. Um, and so it, it really is something that, again, it doesn't matter what sport you're playing. You know, if you don't have a stable right hip and a stable left hip that can catch your body weight, control your alignment, um, you know, maintain your balance, control your center of mass. Um, it doesn't, what's, it doesn't matter what sport you play. And so, you know, that's yet another one of those sort of dominoes that, okay, now we're working our way outwards. Um, does the center of your body function in a way that you can execute any athletic movement, let alone, you know, again, going back to quarterbacks that I do a lot of work with, you, you think about, you know, the physical and mental expectations on a young quarterback. Well, if he's got no core stabilization and his hips won't even carry him on one leg, what are the chances he's going to execute a five-step drop and throw on rhythm or whatever? It's, it's just, so now the coach is going to be saying like, you know, don't hitch. I want you to throw when you hit the top of your drop and the quarterback's going on trying, but he hits the top of his drop. He's got no hip stability. He's got no core stability. He's got no tensegrity between his legs. So he's spilling power. He hasn't controlled his inertia. And we're trying to ask him to put his foot in the ground and throw the football accurately with velocity. Like, so, and this is, you know, this is where, this is where I lose sleep at night <laughs> because <laughs> I, I watch, I mean, I watch the Super Bowl. Yeah. And uh -huh. I'm, you know, and it's, I mean, it's just, again, the, the money left on the table is, is unbelievable when, I mean, you know, all like, it's amazing to see what Edelman is capable of doing. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and he's, I mean, I think he's a four, five, two forty. you know, he's not the fastest guy on the field. He's not the tallest guy on the field. He's, a, he's, you know, athletically, he's amazing. Um, but he's managed to learn to move in ways where, you know, I'll, I'll echo the commentator's sentiment. They couldn't cover him. He's three yards open on pretty much every route that he ran. Mm -hmm. And yet, you know, I've got, I've got stills on my phone of the way he cut when he blew his knee. Um, I watch him cutting in the Super Bowl and go on like, man, he's three yards open. And, and yet there's still so much more we could do mm. with his cutting technique. Just, to, just layering in these things that I'm talking about that are these, you know, non-negotiable principles of athleticism that, you know, every time you plant and cut, we want your hip active. We want tensegrity between your legs. We need core stabilization so we don't have outfall, which is, again, in the freeze frame of when he blew his knee, um, there was a bunch of these things that weren't present, which is a big part of why we have 50 or 60 spontaneous ACL ruptures, I think, every year in the NFL. Mm. 
and it, and it's just it's something as simple as change of direction mechanics. Um, so it, it's all of these things are whether you're a golfer, or a javelin thrower, or a lineman, or a receiver, or a quarterback, or a running back. You, you need to be able to do all of these things before we can expect you to do the specifics um, that you're asked to do by your coaches. You know, so if that all makes sense, hope that does. Yeah, we had a, a my senior year. We had a kid that he was a junior offensive lineman. He's taking a normal pass set. No one touches him. Whole knee gone or ACL maybe. Uh, And I never would have thought that it could ever be anything with his, you know, um, with his core or his, you know, pelvic floor, you know, his pelvis. It would never have been even a a thought to me. Yeah. And I mean, it's um, to me, again, it's nobody's fault. We're, We're learning more and more. And I've been fortunate enough to have a kind of a diverse background myself with my own injuries, as we've talked about in my education. And then some of the people that I've managed to, you know, to, sort of rub shoulders with and, and work with and collaborate with. Um, but, you know, when I, when I have multiple NFL quarterbacks sort of asking me why nobody at their teams looks at this stuff, <laughs> it's because it's, it's like the dimension of movement. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if we look at a, any athlete or any football team or any sports team, um, you know, we've got, we've got our sports-specific coaches. We've got the guys who know what they're doing when it comes to being a quarterback or being a lineman or whatever. So they're, you know, they know the schemes and they know, you know, the offense and defense. Um, we've got a, what we call like the sports medical team. So we've got the guys who treat the injuries, um, you know, manage any of the, you know, any things that we want to prevent from becoming injuries, like overuse stuff, therapy, et cetera. That all falls under that category. We've got our strength and conditioning team, which, you know, we all know that 30 or 40 years ago, nobody had a strength coach. Now they've got a team of six strength coaches and, you know, they're getting paid good money, which they should, because, you know, that's where the work's done. Um, but nobody in there, honestly, because I've seen it and I've been part of it, nobody in there really specializes in movement. And, you know, I've gone, I've gone into organizations and, and when you start to realize that if we all have a similar concept and principle when it comes to movement. And it's all just based on, you know, science, physics, kinesiology, biomechanics, et cetera. Anatomy is a big part of it. Mm-hmm. And your strength coaches go, Oh man, well, well, I mean, that makes sense. That's why, you know, this guy keeps getting these injuries and we're not able to strengthen them in the gym. And the athletic therapists and trainers go, Oh yeah, well, we've been telling the guys in the gym to address that, but, you know, he keeps getting injured and the sports specific coaches are frustrated. This guy isn't able to execute a certain move or he keeps being injured or whatever. And most of the time it comes down to, they've got a faulty movement strategy. Mm. So even though they're super strong in the gym and the strength coaches are doing their job, nobody knows that this guy's moving in a way where he's, you know, unstable and dysfunctional and he's not using leverage and he's rotating or he's shearing or he's outfalling or whatever, which is all movement language. And so he ends up in, in the hands or in this, in this loop, I guess, where everybody hopes that somebody else is covering it without the realization that it's, it really is the fourth dimension to athletic performance. Um, and it's fun when you, get, when you get those people in a room and they start seeing that, okay, wait a minute, now we're all speaking the same language. And when, when the sports-specific coaches are asking them to execute a move on the field, 
if they remember to cue them a certain way, like get deep in your hip or, or use inside leverage or remember to use tensegrity between your legs, now he's not going to twist and shear, which is going to keep him out of the hands of the, the therapists. And then we need the strength coaches cueing them on those things when they're doing their lifts and their conditioning. You, you're exactly right. And, and, and one of the things that just popped into my head, but uh, the UFC, uh, those MMA fighters right now, there's been a lot of really big time guys that are now going to movement coaches is mm-hmm. essentially, I think what they call them. And, mm-hmm. and, and uh, I think, Conor McGregor talked about it a few years ago, but bringing in a movement coach and him working with his strength coach and, and all three of those, you know, both those guys working with his uh, strength and conditioning coaches. And, and uh, he couldn't stop talking about how much of a difference it made for them. And, and I would assume it would because every, like you said, every leak of, of um, you know, I don't want to say, but it wasn't potential, but every, every leak that you have, it's not performed, you know, optimally, you're losing energy, uh, you're losing force. And, and that's what, you know, a, a five round MMA fight is all about is being able to preserve that energy and, and get the most force out of every, out of every kick or every punch. Yeah. And that's, um, you know, I've worked with some MMA fighters and they're unbelievable athletes. I mean, I, I do mm-hmm. always say that of all the athletes in the world of sport, I think some of these, some of these guys who take MMA seriously are probably the most well-rounded athletes um, when it comes to mobility, explosive athleticism, um, endurance, etc. And yeah, I watched that very closely uh, when Connor was working with Ido Portal. And interestingly, one of my pro pitchers that I'm working with right now uh, has uh, I believe he's actually been over, I think it was, it was maybe Israel. Um, he worked with him a little bit as well. And, and he said, it's interesting. There are some similarities to the way we approach it. I, I, I guess I approach movement a little bit more um, from the kinesiology scientific perspective. And he approaches it a bit more from the kind of the primal movement pattern sure. uh, perspective. Mm-hmm. But again, I watched it and went like, wow you know, hallelujah, at least somebody's paying attention to this, 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 it's basically, it's an unaddressed void in athleticism. Um, Mm. and you know, you, and every time I get working with an athlete, uh, you know, they'll, they'll sort of say, yeah, you know what, actually that explains why I had this or geez, you know, I, I always thought it would be better if we did more of that. And there's this universal appreciation that, um, well, yeah, you know what? If every one of my movements was better and more efficient and more stable and more powerful, that would be great. Um, but there seems to be, again, I go back to they don't know what they don't know. Sure. You know, the head, the head football coach might not know that this stuff's being addressed or that it even exists. Um, you know, the, the strength coaches, again, are they may be the best strength coaches in the game, but this might be a dimension that they've just never been exposed to. And so you know, that for me is the, when I start working with a team or even with an individual athlete who then wants to introduce me to the team, it's this understanding that like, I'm not, I'm not coming in to overlap or step on what anybody does. I'm coming in and if I can get an athlete stable and connected and moving efficiently, guess what? Every one of his lifts in the gym is going to be better. And we're going to reduce the risk that he's going to injure something when he's in the gym training with his very competent strength coaches. And the athletic therapists always look at it and go, oh, well, yeah, actually, if every one of our athletes was boys up, core engaged all the time and moving proximally with stable neutral joints and a stable neutral spine, 
yeah, that, of course that makes sense. You know, they're going to be, you know, so they're happy about it. And then typically the sports specific coaches are just really happy because these guys are more explosive and more powerful on the field and they're able to perform at a higher level. And so mm-hmm. it's a, it's a win, win, win. Um, but sometimes there's, there's just not necessarily an understanding of, I guess, what it is that I do or what movement coaches do. And I know there's a few guys out there that use that term and, and they're getting more and more penetration and, and, um, you know, I hope that continues and I, and I hope that as there's an acceptance for this missing niche or missing dimension that there can, you know, continues to be an evolution and a, and a bit of a standardization on who can call themselves that and, mm. you know, what kind of criteria they should have to be able to go in and, and, and call themselves a movement coach, or maybe we come up with another term for it. But, you know, I've said to so many people and it's been, you know, sort of uh, applauded by a lot of my pro you know, NFL guys that again, 30, 40 years ago, nobody had a strength coach. Now you wouldn't think about having a pro team without a strength coach. I mean, we used to just say, go to the gym, lift weights, get strong. Right? Right. Well, yeah. hang on. It's a whole blooming science that makes the difference in every athlete. Well, that's the way it's going to be with, with sort of this kinesiology slash movement coach, mm-hmm. um, you know, in, in whether it's five years or 10 years, you wouldn't think about having a team that, that, doesn't have somebody that specializes in every single movement that every single one of these athletes has to execute. And, you know, that's again, where I come back to, you know, every player on the field needs to have functional, stable hip joints that allow them to accelerate, decelerate, change direction, you know, um, no matter what it is they're trying to execute. So it's, it's fun. Like I, I really enjoy it because when working with a single football team, you know, we're talking about 360 pound O linemen that just really need to be able to lock into the ground. And then we're, and then we're also talking about, you know, mega million dollar quarterbacks who need to move like Fred Astaire and, and, you know, be able to throw fireballs. Um, right. So, mm-hmm. so it's, uh, you know, both of my sons are, are into the quarterback side of things. And so I really, you know, I've spent a lot of time working, you know, um, I work with a lot of quarterback coaches and, and mentor and advise quarterback coaches, which is really fun because then I get to see the videos of the young quarterbacks that they're working with. And, you know, we do, uh, do video calls and, and bounce ideas off each other. I love getting those, you know, Hey coach, look at this video. What do you see? You know, this is, this is the stuff that I do while I'm brushing my teeth and you know, it's, it's tons <laughs> of fun for me. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's just this area where, um, if every single movement that that athlete makes is more controlled, more stable, more powerful, they have to perform better. And, you know, uh, say a quarterback coach who really is a wizard when it comes to, you know, hand arm mechanics, a lot of the time, and I've seen this a lot, they've never even really thought about the importance of the rest of the body. Oh, this, we need to talk about footwork, but then let's, let's really work on your arm mechanics. Well, hang on, let's work on a hip mechanics and core mechanics and thoracic spine mechanics. And, you know, um, and that's where there's this whole untouched world. And that that was one of the things I I wanted to ask you about coaches. Cause I mean, you know, you talk about a lot of guys and their coaching cues are, you know, like you're saying distal related, you know, the hand, the arm, the elbow, and they're also the same thing with, with the feet in, Hey, you're over striding and things like that. To me, again, that comes back to like you're talking about the dominoes, one, two, three. If I'm off balance, I'm probably going to be long striding or I'm going to be yeah. 
you know, sidearm with my throws. So that's one of the cool things that, that you've, you've opened my eyes to is, is really zoning in on, you know, that proximal hip area, how short that movement really has to be and how fast mm-hmm. and explosive it is for those quarterbacks at the highest level who start to really, really get it. Wow. It's amazing to see. Yeah. And you'll see, I mean, there's a number of guys playing on Sundays that you'll see their mechanics have changed a lot over the last couple of years. And they are guys whose quarterback coaches I've spent time sharing concepts with for sure. Um, and another, another area, certainly the area of generation of power, mm-hmm. but the other half of it being controlling that power, controlling all of that inertia, which then we start looking at deceleration and stabilization. So if we really want to simplify it with a quarterback, if they're a right-handed quarterback, we need their, primarily their right hip to generate their velocity, and we need their left hip to stop the pelvis, decelerate the pelvis with control to then transfer the power up through the rib cage and you know through the core, so the dissociation of the pelvis to the rib cage. So the hips fire, then the hips stop, then we transmit the power up through the rib cage, torso into the shoulders, arm and hand. And there has to be acceleration, deceleration all the way through this. And so there's there's a very, very noticeable difference in that over-rotation leg swing that was coached by the majority of quarterback coaches up until a few years ago. Um, you know, and you can picture it. I, I sort of, it's a bit of a, what I call a posing quarterback where, yep. where they swing that leg around, that leg comes around to the front side of their plant foot. Um, they over-rotate their hips, they over-rotate their shoulders. And, you know, we start looking at guys like, I mean, even the way Jared Goff has changed, we'd start looking at guys like Baker Mayfield's mechanics. Um, and it's short and explosive and they're connected to the ground and they start balanced and stable and they finish balanced and stable. Um, and the ball's out and it's gone and it's on a rope and it's hitting the target every time because they're controlled, connected, so they can, they can be precise. And the velocity is there because of the way they initiate, but also the way they decelerate. And it's, uh, there's, there's, again, there's still so much room, you know, with, with both quarterbacks and then a lot of work I'm doing right now because of the season with pitchers. Um, there's, there's just this, the ceiling on this. I think there's still so much ground to be gained with these athletes in, in their control and their velocity. Um, and it's, and it's just, let's just maximize the efficiency of this big, you know, my, my company is sport core and, and the whole idea of that is we've got these two big power centers in the center of the body that are stacked on top of each other. And sometimes we need to lock those two so they're immovable. And sometimes we need to capitalize on the power and the dissociation between those, those two power centers and fire one and then create all this spiral sling tension to fire the second one and then stop them. And that's all, you know, I talk about dexterity. If you think about the amount of time that quarterback coaches talking with a quarterback about their hand on the ball and the dexterity of their hand on the ball, if we train that quarterback to have that kind of dexterity at their hip joints, at their core, um, that's what I mean. Like the, the ceiling is, is unbelievable as we just continue to learn and develop and, and adapt and apply all of these concepts and principles. Okay. So three kind of practical questions from me, kind of for me, uh, selfishly. Sure. Okay. So tomorrow, 
So All tomorrow right. I'm going to do squats, and then I'm going to um, I'm going to push prowler sleds. I'm push sleds, and then uh, you know here in a few weeks, hopefully I'll play golf with walls. So tomorrow I'm going to do squats, and I'm going to think, boys up. Am I doing that okay. the entire time or the beginning of the squat? What what's the you know, use through that? You want you want to think about it just before you rack the bar. So just before you load, boys up, and then throughout each repetition and and honestly you know i don't know if you go to full extension and pause or if you if you've maintained tension through your set of squats but the entire time you're loaded and moving um you want to be thinking boys up for sure okay and, now is that the yeah. same with the prowler sled as well the whole time yes. i'm pushing should be okay absolutely yeah and then would you recommend the same thing? I'm, I'm going to, um, you know, golf and I'm, I'm driving the ball. Is that, would that be from the, before the swing even starts? Or are, are you doing it when, when I'm starting to torque through the ball? No, it's, um, so you set up, you address the ball. And there's, there's two things especially that I want you to think about just before you start your takeaway or your backswing. So you set up, you get in your normal stance. I'm hoping that your normal stance is a deep hip position with a neutral spine. And the two things that you're going to think about just before you start your backswing is boys up. And you're also going to create just the slightest bit of tensegrity. So inner tension between your feet. Hmm. And we have to make sure that what you don't do is you don't buckle your knees inward and go valgus. It's not, it's not that movement. It's just simply if you were standing there and you were standing on really, really slippery ice, you just want to create enough inward tension. Because you're in a, you know, a fairly wide base when you're going to start swinging your driver. Right. We want to have enough inward tension that if you were on super slippery ice, you're not going to slide outward. Huh. So that's that inner tension. And the, and the term you'll hear in all the videos and stuff on my Instagram and everything is, is own the ground. So you need to own that ground between your legs before you start your takeaway or your backswing in golf. And if you can go boys up and you can maintain that little bit of tensegrity through that swing, uh, I mean, it's, it's really not uncommon for guys after my first session with them in the gym, they go out, they come back and they go, man, I'm, I'm hitting the ball 10 yards further. Jeez. And yes. it's, it's just because you're stable and connected. And now all the muscles will fire because they've got a stable center upon which to exert force. So that's two questions. Well, that, that was the, that was the third. My third was oh, that. Okay. And then it was with the, the prowler sleds as well. That was because oh, I was going to do those two. And then I wanted to get a leg up on walls, but it uh, didn't help me much because he's, he's here listening to the golf uh, swing <laughs> as well. <laughs> I, I've, I've been studying this stuff a lot longer than you, so I already had it. Oh, damn. Well, that's why you've <laughs> oh, been you so go. much better than me then. Uh, well, okay, so, so here's the other thing I want to know because um, I've got like five sheets over here with things written down. We don't have much time but with you. Okay, but um, my other thing was, okay, so what's, what's one of the biggest misconceptions that you hear that um, I'm sure knowing as much, you know, and, and you're, like you said, you're around so, so many people that don't even know the science behind it, or even there is a science behind it. So what's one of those misconceptions or one of those things that you hear coaches spray out that uh, almost makes you cringe that, but it's, it's a common thing. Um, coaches, so sports specific coaches or strength coaches, um, strength coaches or either whichever one bugs you the most. Um, so, so strength coaches, just the expectation that because you lift more in the gym, you will be a better player. You'll be a better football player or thrower or what, whatever it is. Hmm. Um, because it, it really doesn't matter if you can't take that force 
and use it between the earth and your opponent or between the earth and whatever your apparatus is, be it a baseball or a football or kicking a soccer ball or whatever. Um, the, the hardest one I would say with sports specific coaches is the expectation that because an athlete can't execute a movement, they're, they're not trying, you know, the, the coach mm-hmm. gets frustrated and angry at the athlete because you know, he says, I want you to come racing down this line and put your foot in the ground and get out of your cut, like, like fast, you know, two steps, three steps, whatever. And the athlete doesn't have these non-negotiable principles. They can't stabilize, decelerate, and change direction without using five steps or sometimes six steps. And it's, it's not that they're not trying. It's, and it's simply that they haven't been given the tools in the toolkit to execute what the sports specific coach is asking them to do. And you can, you can tell them all day long, you know, I, I want you to do this. And <laughs> yeah. They won't, they won't, they'll be trying their hardest. And it's just, everybody wants to bang their head against the wall. They, they can't execute it. And, you know, I see this um, again, when you take some of the top athletes, let's just talk football, the top athletes in the game and you say, okay, go from two feet, center fire, right and they fall over six times in a row, you, if you can imagine that frustration on the face of a, you know, a $10 million quarterback because he can't land on one foot. Wow. Um, and so, and it's not that he doesn't have good balance. It's, it's, but basically he doesn't use the tools to be able to execute that single simple move efficiently and be successful. And until he learns to use the tools, He's going to keep doing what he does off balance and unstable. And again, he's, he's making $10 million a year and playing in the NFL, but okay. So what would he really be capable of if we actually just taught him to use his hips and his core, um, you know, which, which may sound idealistic, but I've seen it happen and it's unbelievable when it comes together. So. And then you talked a little bit about, you know, your, your two sons and, and I've got a, a little one who's only five right now, but uh, yeah. always the question for me is um, uh, obviously when, when do you start training? And I would assume with, with movement, you could start, obviously I would assume a lot earlier than like strength training, you would want to start with the kid, but when did you, and, and not to make it like i I'm not a guy that's going to get in there and, and, you know, do a bunch of it, but you know, just, when would you recommend or when did you start kind of getting into some of that movement training or, or working up into so where when they're in high school, they maybe don't have the, the same issues or the same problems, um, you know, that other kids do with skipping those first three dominoes? Um, I, you know, I've always wanted to make sure that I wasn't that guy or that dad. Right, uh, right. And, yeah. And so I've, I've honestly, with my boys, really almost let it happen through osmosis. Um, my, when my older son, you know, started playing football, he was in grade seven. And he'd never played before. And the next thing you know, he's the starting quarterback on his football team. And, and so we had to do a little bit of work on some footwork and, and throwing mechanics. And I was able to, you know, just kind of insert a little bit here and there to help him, you know, feel like he was a little more confident you know, going in there and being starting quarterback in his first month of playing game. Um, so that was, a, that was a good opportunity to do it without feeling like I was the dad that was pushing. Um, my younger guy, you know, it's been amazing to me where, you know, he'll come along with me when I'm out working with some pro linebackers or whatever. 
And when he was, he's 13 now, but when he was around uh, 10, maybe nine or 10, you know, I'd be working with these big linemen or linebackers and I'd be kind of pushing them around with one finger or two fingers because they couldn't figure out how to connect. And my, <laughs> and my son would be like, dad, test me. You know, he'd be standing there at, you know, whatever he was at the time, 70 pounds, and he'd be in his power stance. And, you know, I'd literally go up and he'd be able to create more resistance than these, you know, 250 pound pro linebacker guys. And mm. so he's, he's sort of watched it and tried it. And, and it's been a bit of a game for him to, uh, you know, to be able to kind of ask me to include him a little bit. Mm. Um, and so it's, it's nice. They've both been able to take uh you know a lot a lot of the information and they see you know they'll come out and see the level of athletes that are just mind blown by what we do and then so that kind of helps give me a little bit of street cred with my boys yeah you know which yeah then maybe they might maybe they might ask me oh you know dad how do i do on this and it's like well you know if you want to ask and you really want my input so i've always tried to play it that way but you know, if I'm, if I'm working with other people's kids and, you know, I, I get people who say, Hey, my eight-year-old son doesn't have enough power when he's pitching a baseball. I'm kind of like, ah, you know, like give him some time. Right. Like <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, you know, I think, I think we're maybe, you know, overstressing that a little bit, but you know, I've worked with my younger guy, you know, with his soccer team or his basketball team or whatever. And we'll just, we'll just put little bits in here and there. And you know, even at, at 10, 11, 12 years old, just to see the improvement um, even like in little things like cone drills and ladder drills, when you, sure. when you teach a group of 11 yeah. year olds, how to properly move through a ladder, and then you look at a full team of NFL guys and you go like, wow, you know, <laughs> just, <laughs> the, dif the difference is unreal with a very small amount of input. Right. So, mm. um, so I would, I would say, you know, start dropping little hints around that 10 years old and, you know, and it doesn't mean you're not looking for things when they're younger, but, um, you know, and, and again, if it's just, if it's just like, oh, hey, you know, like be balanced and here's how you get balanced. Um, right. Which is, you know, like doing things like what we're doing right now. It's just, a, it's a way of, as I always say, giving coaches a different lens to look through when they're looking at athletes. Right. So wait a minute. Did you have inside leverage when you changed direction or, you know, and, and if they start using that kind of language, the athletes will pick it up very, very quickly. All right. We got to talk a little bit about offensive line. So you've worked okay. with linemen and things like that. And obviously yep. we're our biggest clientele right now is, is linemen. So what would be some coaching points you would use, especially now for linemen dealing with, you know, an opponent who's forcefully trying to move me and I'm having to try to forcefully move him. Um, it's, it's really, unbelievable to me the the change that you can make in alignment by um so boys up is is yep. again that non-negotiable um but one of the big things that comes up in almost every athlete is is this tendency towards what i refer to as as a quad biased position mm -hmm. and so I almost always, it's almost universal. These athletes have been coached to be in their quads. They're in their knees too much. They're on the balls of their feet. They've been told to be on their toes. So they have quick feet and that, and the saying, you know, don't be caught flat footed. But when I need to actually anchor into the ground, what ends up happening when an athlete goes quad biased and they, and they load into their knee joints and they overactivate their quads and they put the weight in the balls of their feet 
they inhibit this whole glute hip complex and they end up with no rotary stability to their whole pelvis. So it's not, we're not talking about the individual hip joint. So the, you know, the head of the femur, we're talking about the, the whole global pelvis. So what I'll do, you know, I'll get a lineman. I'll say, okay, go into a two point stance, um, you know, and, and just, you know, get as strong as you can be basically anchor. And I'll get them to, to put their hands out in front of them and put their palms together. So just long arms sticking straight out in front of their body. And, you know, I'll walk up and I'll say, okay, don't, just don't let me move your hands. And so they're standing there at 300 or, you know, 350 pounds or whatever it might be. And they're locked into the ground and they're, and they're, they're sure that they're immovable and they've got their palms together out in front of them. And I'll come in with, you know, I usually try to use my single broken finger. That's kind of all bent and gnarly and I'll start pushing their hands side to side and I'll be moving their hands, you know, six inches side to side. And you know, what I need them to understand is like, I'm not overwhelming the wrists. I'm not overwhelming their elbows. I'm not overwhelming the pecs. I'm not overwhelming. What I'm overwhelming is the rotary hip stability. And that, that lineman by sinking into his quads and loading his knees and having the weight through to the ball of the feet and inhibiting his hips. When I do that and I'm wiggling them from side to side and they can't stop it and they're getting really angry at me. All I do is I walk around behind them and I then grab their hips and I twist, I, I rotate their hips from side to side and they realize that they weren't using rotary hip stabilization at all in their strategy for stopping me from moving their hands. Hmm. And wow. so the, the mental, like there are these sort of mental programs that we go through. If I, if I say to either one of you guys, okay, I want you to do a squat right away. There's a, there's a mental program that we go through that says, okay, I'm going to load and get in my hips and I'm going to drop my hips and I'm going to maintain this and I'm going to keep a neutral spine. But what's not part of that whole program and in part because it never shows up in the, in the gym setting is this rotary stabilization. It's anticipatory stabilization of the pelvis. And so that lineman standing there, he's going to be as strong as he can be. He's got all of his muscles in his body flexed. But when I'm pushing his hands back and forth, his hips are swinging around wildly and his kneecaps are moving from side to side because I'm twisting his hips. When I go around behind him and I say, okay, now I'm going to try to twist your hips. Don't let me twist your hips. If he's semi-functional, he'll find a way to stop me from twisting his hips. If he can't figure out how to stop me from twisting his hips, we've got more work to do. Mm -hmm. But the way that he's going to stop me from twisting his hips is not to flex his core. It's not to use his quads. It's not even to fire his glutes. It's what I call posterior presence to the hemipelvis, to each side of his hips. So mentally, if you guys think about it, if you take your biggest, strongest lineman and you get him in a two-point stance, if his butt cheeks are just gently brushing up against a wall, He's just holding them against the wall. He's not leaning on the wall. He's just touching the wall with his butt cheeks. Then you go around to his hands and you have him put his palms together and, and you take his hands and you push his hands to his right. Effectively, what you're doing by taking his hands and pushing them to his right is you're trying to pull his left butt cheek off the wall. Can you picture that? Yes, so yes. Pull his hands to the right. You're basically pulling his left butt cheek off the wall. Pull his hands to his left, you're pulling his right butt cheek off the wall. If you give your athlete that visual and you say, okay, hold your butt against the wall. 
I'm going to come around. I'm going to go to your hands. I'm not trying to move your hands. All I'm trying to do is I'm trying to pull your butt cheeks off the wall. If he can get it, he can figure out where to work from. So this is this posterior presence that I'm talking about. If he can hold his butt cheeks against the wall, you will not be able to move his hands. He will become pretty much immovable if he's a strong, you know, functioning athlete. Wow. And it's, you didn't take him to the gym for three months and make him do squats and deadlifts and power <laughs> cleans. All you did was put his presence in a different part of his body, which is the center of his universe, which is going to anchor him into the ground. And it makes his center immovable. And if his center is immovable, you're not going to move his hands. And that D lineman that comes up and tries to do a fake swim, rip, whatever, and, and torque his shoulders is going to run into a brick wall. And it's, these, are, these are the ones that are most exciting because that's that giant guy who gets really angry at when I'm pushing his hands back and forth. And then I go behind him and I give him this one cue and I go back up and now I can't move the guy. And it's like, boom, there's that. You imagine for a guy that that's what he does for a living. That's the, that's the aha moment where, you know, I mean, the number of guys who've just gone, wow, imagine if I could play like this. And it's like, yeah, you can. Right? You just have to use it as part of your strategy for preparation. So that's, that's on the O-line side of things. Get out of the quads, get into the hips, learn to find that posterior presence for rotary stability to the pelvis. And like, you know, I, I tried fairly hard and volunteered to go help out one of the teams that was in the playoffs. Um, look, I'll, I'll come and I'll give you one hour. Let's just, let's just take your O-line and let's just, you know, just show them this because um, they, won't, they won't get manhandled at the line of scrimmage. And there was some interest. There just wasn't enough time to make it happen. So, um, but that's, again, I say I lose sleep over this stuff. It's because that potential is there. And, you know, if, I had, if, if we had both of you guys in the room and we did that one thing, it would, it would just be this sudden, like, oh, man, okay, hang on. Wait a minute. This is, this is a game changer. And that was, you know, the, the, the one team that brought me in last offseason was the Saints. And, you know, head coach of the Saints, Dan Dalrymple, is an, is an O-line guy, or head strength coach, sorry, um, is an O-line guy. And that was, for him, that was the aha moment. It was like, you know what? Like, if, if, what I do is I, is I get guys to anchor. And it doesn't matter. They need to anchor. It doesn't matter what, I, you know, what position they play. And it was nice to hear that come from Dan, which is just this like, like, wow, this is it. This is everything to these guys, whether it's O-linemen or, or any of the other players on the team. And that was a, I mean, that was a hugely fun week to go in there and be hands-on with all of those guys and, and work with, you know, a team of strength coaches who were open-minded and inclusive and, you know, and their therapists were as well. So, you know, I hope to be back there this year and, and working with a couple more teams this year. Wow. Well, this has been awesome. Um, and I almost can't wait to get off the phone so I can go make my wife uh, push my hands. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And make sure, make sure test, her, test her on the center fire, okay? So make her, make her go into an athletic position and tell her center fire right, center fire left, and see if she can land it. <laughs> okay, I will. I bet, <laughs> I bet she'll be better than I am. I'm excited. I'm going to use that with my, uh, with my offensive lineman tomorrow. We got one of those days where not a whole lot of lifting and, and stuff. And so I'm going to, I'm going to use it with those guys and, and let all those guys see it. Cause I, I'm, I'm really, really excited about it. And um, uh, for whatever reason, w when you talk to some guys that, that know a lot about the science behind things uh, there's, it's not always 
um, very functional as far as they don't know how to apply it, but you've given us some unbelievable things that we can actually apply and I'm excited to, uh, to try all of it out. Yeah. And I really, I really hope that, um, like if you guys are, are applying this stuff, I do really enjoy getting videos from coaches who are, who are working with athletes. So, you know, you've got my cell number. Um, I use WhatsApp usually when I'm sending multiple videos with athletes and, and, you know, commentary and stuff like that. So if you get your hands on your linemen tomorrow and you run them through this stuff, please kick me some videos. Uh, I'll get back to you as quickly as I can and I don't mind doing it. And, uh, you know, share some, Oh, wait a minute. You know, this is the reason why it wasn't quite as effective as it could have been or, or, mm -hmm. okay, great. You guys crushed it. Now let's, now let's progress to this drill. So I like having those ongoing, you know, back and forth dialogues with, with guys, I've got, you know, guys in Florida and Texas and Nashville and California that I, you know, all over the place that I'm doing this with consistently, you know, so um, please, please send me any videos you can shoot some and send them and say, wow, look at this. Um, and if it's not working, send those to me as well. Awesome. I definitely will. I would appreciate it. Coach, you get to spend a little bit of time in Hawaii. I think I've seen you get, you guys got a timeshare or something down there. Cause I see you guys doing a lot of the cool movement stuff in Hawaii as well. You lucky dogs. Yeah, well, we don't have a timeshare or anything, but we've got a place that we've been renting for, you know, pretty much every spring break for the last uh, nearly 20 years. And that's our that's our one uh, nice, uh, you know, warm, sunny vacation every year. We try to spend a few weeks down there and, you know, I enjoy what I do. So I usually end up working with, uh, I mean, I've got a couple of the, you know, especially one guy, one of the top stand-up paddlers and surfers on the planet because um, mm. hey stability and core power and everything else Jeez, um, no lie oh yeah right so um you know work with those guys work with some football guys sometimes guys will come to maui sometimes i'll jump over to honolulu i'm kicking around the idea um i've got some some pro quarterbacks and you know other athletes uh all football guys around uh, centered around the university of hawaii so i'm kicking around the idea of maybe doing a a small like a two-day camp there uh late march this year just keeping it really really tight like maybe 10 or 12 uh was thinking coaches or strength coaches and 10 or 12 athletes and making it just like a real you know real interactive engaged you know on the field let's get into all the nuts and bolts and movement for you know pretty much uh any position on the football field and um so if you guys are interested, let me know. I haven't, haven't put all the details together yet, but I'm thinking about doing that uh, March 29th, 30th uh, in Honolulu. You had me at Hawaii. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding, right? Well, Coach, man, this has been uh, an absolute blast. I'll let, uh, let Harper, Harper ask his last question here since we got a, another podcast coming up. But, you know, sure. love, love, love talking with you. Lo love to have you on again. And, and, and I'd love to just stay in contact with you just because I think, you know, what you're doing is revolutionary. And I, and I do think you're out in Thank front you. of Thank you. I appreciate it. You know, you, you talk about strength coaches being non-existent 30 or 40 years ago. Now they're commonplace. I, I honestly think that what you're doing and the science behind it, it it's going to get there. I, th I think it, it just makes too much sense. And, you know, it's all about safety and, and performance. That's exactly what your business is. So I appreciate mm -hmm. you coming on, man. Thank you so much. And yeah, please, please let's stay in touch as much as possible. Yeah. So the last question that I always like to ask is, so when you're watching uh, an offensive line or, or maybe just an, even an offensive lineman, what's, something they'd be doing that would make you think highly of their offensive line coach? 
Um, if I can see that they're being coached to move proximally, and uh, it's pretty obvious, but if you think of an O-lineman that, you know, that needs to, you know, whether he's, he's dropping into pass protection or whatever, you can see if an athlete moves distally from their feet. So if they reach their feet and then follow with their body, or if they drive their body and their feet go with their body. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's a situation where if I need my O-lineman to get 12 inches to his right, he can either go foot first and then gather his body to where he's placed his foot, or he can propel his mass to get him where he needs to go. And the driving his mass delivers his feet. Mm. And so, um, you know, another, another simple way of looking at it, you know, with quarterbacks, um, so many quarterbacks have been coached to point their front foot. So what did the quarterback do? They stand there, they hold the ball, they reach their front foot and we're already in trouble because they've moved from their front foot. So they haven't created any drive. They've created a reach. And if that quarterback reaches their front foot, what's going to happen is for timing purposes, they're going to follow what we call an, you know, it's an equal and opposite pattern. And it's not the way it's typically used in the world of quarterbacks, but what that athlete does with their front foot, they're also going to do with their throwing arm. So if he reaches and points his front foot, he's going to reach the football typically down and back because this is a slow movement. This is an approximal explosive movement. And so going back to an offensive lineman, if I see an offensive lineman and it's reach step versus drive, 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 and the propulsion of their body delivers their feet. It's a, I mean, it's just a black and white thing for me when I'm watching. And when I see, when I see a lineman that's been taught to move their mass rather than move from their feet, does that all make sense? Yes, it makes it. Uh, I'm, I'm right there with you. <laughs> Marvelous. <laughs> it seems I see, a, I see a lot of linemen who are, who are moving from, from their feet. And uh, they're doing the work, and their coaches are, are doing the work. It's just let's maybe try a different approach to, you know, and this, and this is where movement strategy comes in. You're still going from point A to point B. Right. How we get there is unbelievably important. It's going to mm. determine whether or not we get there and we're connected when we get there or we're asymmetrical and off balance throughout the entire movement. So the work's still being done. Let's, let's just try to do it in a way that's more efficient and explosive so that, you know, one, there's less fatigue, but, you know, two, there's, there's more power to the movement. And that's going to do it for this episode of RTP. We want to again thank all of our sponsors. You guys make sure and go check them out. Help grow our community by telling other coaches about Run the Power. And if you enjoy Running the Power, go get your shirt, long sleeve, or hoodie at runthepower.com. Also, if you have any topics or any questions you would like for us to discuss in the next podcast, simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the writer review section of the podcast app. This will help our podcast rating as well as it allow us to answer the questions you all want answered. Make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com. Follow me on Twitter at Harper underscore Coach and Coach Walls at Coach Brady Walls. Run the Power now also has its own Twitter and Instagram, and you can find that at Run the Power. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Talk to you soon.